So our next speaker is Iriel Edwards. She started with the Real Organic Project as an inspector uh, just a few months ago and completely floored us with the way she won over farmers on the road. Uh, the knowledge that she came in with uh, was superb. She worked for uh, Jubilee Justice before coming to us, who uh, does the systems of rice intensification. And then how quickly she's understood the complex concepts behind Real Organic. Uh, and I'm so impressed that she wants to come speak just a few months in. So we've just been so impressed with her. Um, so Ariel, the floor is yours. Hello. <laughs> My name is Ariel Edwards. I'm coming to you from central Louisiana, where I live, um, and where I was mostly raised. I'll get into that later. Um, but I've been on the road for the past week doing farm inspections, so this has been the big hurrah highlight of that entire process, and I'm always just inspired being on farms. Um, and I am so grateful for this opportunity to speak about something that I'm very passionate about. And I'll do that through telling you my story of how I got connected to farming and agriculture um, by rediscovering my, or remembering my identity, I would say, um, specifically in exploring black land ownership um, and how it relates to all the conversations that we've been having today. And so growing up, one of the hardest questions for me to answer was actually, where are you from? Because my family had lived in five different states before I was 12. So my family unit really felt more like home than any single location. But eventually, we settled in North uh, Louisiana in West Monroe. And, uh, and as a biracial black woman, that was uh, the first place where I was really confronted with my racial identity. I remember my first day of middle school, walking into the gym before the bell rang and having to decide if I was supposed to sit with the black kids on the left or the white kids on the right. Um, and that kind of carried on through all of my time in Louisiana and as you can imagine for a teenager, a lot of angst. <laughs> And I spent a, a majority of my time um, in the wilderness alone and dreamt of uh, the day when I would leave, leave Louisiana. And I eventually did. I wanted to study birds and conservation. I was a big bird watcher, still am. And I think at the time I thought if I went into conservation, then I wouldn't have to deal with people or questions around my, uh, where I belonged. Um, funny to think about that now because very quickly I ended up in social sciences um, and I um, became frustrated after a few years of classes hearing that humans were the villain. Um, and also just realizing that I was one of the few um, black and brown kids in my, in my environmental science classes. And so it took a class on indigenous and place-based ecological knowledge. A shout out to Dr. Kareem Ali Kassam, who still inspire me, inspires me to this day, to show me that food systems was where I was supposed to be. 
And the shy girl who spent all of her time in the woods, um, he had encouraged me to do interviews with people, actually in upstate New York, with hunters and fishers and foragers around how their connection to land was their connection to identity and food and how they fed their community through food sovereignty um, and decision making in an alternative food system. And he also taught me about place and sense of place and what that means. And very quickly, I realized that I wanted to go back to Louisiana. Um, I took more food systems classes after that. And one specific day, we were talking about farmers around the world. And I remember walking out of that class and the question coming into my mind that I had never seen a black farmer um, or a farmer that looked like me in the US. And so I went to the library that day, and believe it or not, the first black farmer I met was in a library book of uh, farmers throughout the Southeast. And the next book I picked up was uh, Rooted in the Earth, and the next book I picked up after that was Farming While Black. And that rocked my world, because in the first couple of pages, all of the things that I couldn't put into words were just laid out. Um, and so much of my experience was spelled out in those few pages. Um, and so that night I wrote in my journal how I was going to get to Louisiana to reconnect with land and work with other black farmers. Um, and there were many more signs that pointed me towards that. I remember um, seeing a video of a farm called Provost Farm in New Iberia, Louisiana, uh, about a generational farm that uh, was very successful, um, but the farmer almost lost his business after a rough year and being denied loans from banks and the USDA, um, and also being discriminated against by the local sugarcane mill. And Literally within weeks of me seeing that video, um, I had was in conversation with Conda Mason from Jubilee Justice about a new project in central Louisiana to start an organic rice co-op of black farmers throughout the southeast and manage the farm uh, as a response uh, to this economic uh, hardship and land loss. And 2020, COVID happened, my campus shut down, I didn't get to walk the stage, but I got in my car and I drove down to Louisiana and I became a rice farmer. And uh, there I grew rice, uh, as Lindley mentioned, in a technique called SRI, or the System of Rice Intensification, which is a dryland rice production technique that originated in Madagascar and is practiced by hundreds of thousands of farmers around the world, um, but not too much in the US. Um, really because it goes against a lot of what I think we think or what conventional agriculture tells us, uh, which is, you know, high input and more is more. Uh, but this technique was all centered in less is more. Um, increasing the spacing, putting down young seedlings, um, and alternate wetting and drying, which really reminded me too of how cypress trees flourish um, in Louisiana. And my time with rice um, taught me that I, that I belonged with the earth. Um, 
my ancestry was rooted in deep ecological knowledge. Um, whether it was a story of Orza Glabarima, a species of rice domesticated in West Africa that despite being a part of so many people's origin stories, only recently in the scientific community at the time had been discovered um, genetically to still be stewarded by maroon communities in the Western Hemisphere after bringing it over through the transatlantic slave trade. I also learned that SRI had been a way for farmers to reconnect with their ancestral varieties in many parts of the world after NGOs or um, companies coming in and telling them that their modernized GMO seeds were more productive. They could use this technique to show that their varieties that they had been stewarding for centuries could yield just as much. And I also learned that rice was one of America's first commodity crops and that the foundations of America's economy were not just built on the labor of enslaved people, but the immense knowledge held specifically by the women of West Africa around building, um, building infrastructure, uh, which you can still see along the coast of South Carolina today, um, and growing rice um, in tandem with ocean tides. So yeah, Bryce taught me that I belong to land and I loved being a farmer, despite how hot it was uh, in the middle of the summer um, and uh, how long the days were. Um, but Rice wasn't my only mentor. I also learned about the resilience of my culture through all of the farmers I worked with in the co-op. Um, one farmer in particular, um, he had lost access to his land through a heir's property dispute but wanted to farm anyway as a pig farmer. Um, and he told me how he used to haul pigs in his PT cruiser, because that's all he had at the time. <laughs> to um, a rice farmer in Mississippi who I worked with, who after learning about the ancestral techniques of growing rice, um, still used a lot of those um, infrastructural practices to this day. Um, to groups of farmers who weren't farming anymore, um, but were interested in Jubilee justice um, before they, uh, they knew they weren't getting the same prices as white farmers at the processing mill, so they wanted to be a part of uh, the co-op in that sense. And I, I learned of just the general frustration um, with the USDA and the role that it has played in black land loss um, after disproportionately denying black farmer requests for loans for a very long time which culminated in the largest settlement case ever in the US being black farmers against the USDA, Pigford versus Glickman in 98. This later went on to Pigford versus Glickman II in 2008, and a more recent lawsuit against the Inflation Reduction Act, putting 17,000 black farmers at risk of losing their land after false promises of loan forgiveness. Mind you, it's estimated that there are less than 50,000 black farmers in the US. Um, these were all very present forms of discrimination, uh, which blew my mind that there are so many black farmers that I was able to work with and connect with. Despite that, despite, um, you know, uh, centuries of, of slavery, um, rural violence and massacres like the Colfax massacre and Lee Street riots that happened in the town that I currently live in today and near, to rural gentrification and taking advantage of heirs' property rights um, to push people off of their land, especially in Louisiana. And this has led to less than 2% of all landowners in the US being black, 
uh, dropping from 14% in 2020, or I'm sorry, 1920, um, which is crazy to think about. It's, it's moved backwards very rapidly. And the amount of land loss just in the land value alone um, conservatively represents $326 billion lost from the black community, along with a loss of uh, culture and a knowing that it's our knowledge that created um, our practices our, and many organic practices. Um, so how could, how could black farmers continue in a system like this? That's where I found my hope. Um, and that's where I knew that I was where I needed to be. And I felt like I belonged in Louisiana. Um, but still, um, I think it's important to recognize how, how this land loss and, and displacement of people has really fueled corporate consolidation. Um, and a lot of what we speak towards today um, my communities are being extracted from to fuel all of this. And that's why I think that it's so important to really center it in our conversations. Um, because this legacy of displacement has led to mass incarceration, um, leading to convict leading, uh, sorry, convict leasing to fast food restaurant chains. They're imprisoned people working at the Sonic down the road <laughs> to food apartheid and not having the option to um, contribute your dollars towards good food um, to, and many diet-related illnesses. And this is what fuels all of what we're trying to build a parallel infrastructure to. And addressing that um, is going to help all of us, um, no matter who you are. And, um, and, I, and I have hope. Last, week, last weekend, I spent a really amazing uh, weekend um, at a SAFON event in Mississippi with 20 young black agrarians on land, and we shared our dreams. Um, some of us had access to land, many of us didn't. Um, and we celebrated each other in joy and belonging. And my biggest takeaway from that experience was that, um, was that the resiliency was there and that we, we didn't center ourselves in pain, but rather an opportunity to support one another. And this is a common, this is a, it's a, a trend that's happening. Um, National Young Farmers did a survey last year um, that showed that 83% of young farmers um, stated their primary purpose um, as farmers was conservation and regeneration work, with nearly 30% of them stating that racial justice and healing was one of those main drivers. 74% of the young black farmers surveyed um, stated racial justice and healing as their main drivers to returning to land. And I, I think that it's time to give those, that next generation an opportunity to do that. Uh, in the next 20 years of my life, half of America's farmland is expected to change hands. And I think if we want to, um, if we want to show what real organic is and um, and weaken the forces that are preventing our ability to make decisions for ourselves, um, then it's important that we, um, we make sure that that land doesn't go into, uh, uh, isn't consolidated further. <laughs> um, 
And I, I think there's also a lot of opportunity. Um, for me, I was able to heal my relationship with myself um, and my ancestry on land. Uh, and a, a lot of these conversations we're having today are around our culture and remembering what good farming is and good food is. And I think that that, that relationship can happen with all of us together, or that conversation can happen with all of us together. Um, and exploring how, how our ancestries are, are linked um, and being honest and truthful about this. And um, I think that's a, an amazing opportunity. Um, and so I invite, I invite Real Organic Project to, um, and all farmers and communities to not just consider the diversity of our landscapes, but the diversity of our movements and how that is very much a measure of success um, and whether we're um, moving in the right direction or not. Um, thank you. Thank you.